Hungry Trilobite podcast would like to start by acknowledging SoonerCon. The longest-running pop culture con in Oklahoma has a new look, a new mascot, and a fantastic guest list. Join us in Norman, Oklahoma, June 30th through July 2nd, 2023, and meet celebrities such as Billy West, John Scalzi, Erica Harlicker, and John Swayze. Visit SoonerCon.com to reserve your membership. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. You've probably noticed a great range of guests on this show in terms of life experience. I have some people on here who are legitimate legends and a couple people who are just getting their start in the world and quite a few people in between. And that is something I take pride in. That is by design because I think there are things to be gained from all these perspectives. But today's guest is one of those people who has such a wealth of information and a wealth of knowledge to give that I really want you to open up your ears and listen. Ron B. Moore is one of those people who knows so much and has seen so many things. So let's go ahead and get started right now. On tap today, we have Ronald B. Moore. How are you doing today? Good, sir. I'm doing just great. Now, you are an accomplished guitarist, a pet spider enthusiast. But to be quite honest, my audience is mostly going to know you from your visual effects work on Star Trek, which is a huge passion of mine in the first place. And there's, I, I could talk about that all day. I won't lie to you. But really what I w- want to ask more than anything else is the visual effects is the, like the key world building part of, of making something like a Star Trek or a franchise. And you got to shepherd that for a very long time. What, how, what did it feel like at the end versus the beginning? Interesting. You know, it was, it was interesting at the end. And um, as we became at the end of the Enterprise, it became very obvious that they were going to cancel the show after the four seasons. Um, and at the same time, my the the other Ron Moore, Ron D. Moore, the writer, had, had left and gone on to, uh, which was sad in its own way, but um, had gone on to do Battlestar Galactica. And a lot of us had considered moving on uh, and do another show. I mean, you know, job is a job. But I know Dan Curry and I both felt that, you know, we've been with this show 18 years. <laughs> We're not going to bail in the last and end with it. So uh, we stayed to the bitter end. And, uh, and I'm really glad we did. I, it was a good ride. You know, I've been uh, effects nut most of my life. You know, I remember collecting squirt soda bottles way back. This had to have been uh, way back. <laughs> Collected the bottles, turning them into the store, and then giving me two tickets to a movie called Forbidden Planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, it changed my life. <laughs> you know, it was a pretty amazing movie. And uh, I happened to uh, have come from a home where... Uh, my dad didn't think much of movies and go into movies unless he loved them. You know? Sure. But, uh, you know, I'd go as much as I could. But that movie just, uh, I found it amazing. And uh, I think that kind of planted a seed and it grew over the years. 
that it's definitely a divide between people. And I don't say this to disparage anybody because I have a lot of people in my past. Like it's like the, they see movies and TV and music as something that they consume, that they enjoy, but they don't want to get involved in it. They don't want to get in their, their feet wet making it. And I personally love doing stuff like that. I have, I had the same drive you felt. Yeah. It was just something when I, um, you know, I'd always been into photography as well. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, I think junior high school is where I started getting into and I love the idea of a dark room and taking pictures and I remember in high school making a movie for an assignment thing that was just uh, thrilling and when I got out of high school I was a bad kid you know I was always in trouble and that kind of stuff and I remember when I uh, got out of high school I knew I wanted to go to photography and there were schools that I was looking at but I knew at that point, for some reason, I knew I wasn't mature enough at that point, and I decided that I'd go to the the Navy first, and I had to get out of home. Uh, just, I needed to change, and sure. uh, it, worked, it worked for me, and I went into the Navy just as a reserve, so I was two years active. Uh, great experience, and against all odds, I became a photographer, and uh, that just was uh, really thrilling. I was really glad to do it when I got out of the Navy. I still felt a little bit immature. Uh, so I figured as far as college when I wanted to get a degree and um, I decided it'd probably be smarter for me to take photography first before I went to academics and let myself grow uh, a little bit. And that also worked very well. I went to Brooks Institute in uh, Santa Barbara and studied there and then came out and got my academics and uh, it was really good but an interesting note is when um when i was driving with my wife to go to school at brooks we had left uh I think san bernardino at that time to drive to santa barbara for the school and we went through hollywood and i stopped the car and i got out of the corner of uh, melrose and uh, gower and I parked my car on the street because I was intrigued at this big building that was there. It had a big planet up on the corner, the earth. And um, on the side of the building were posters. And one of them was Star Trek. Hmm. And I grabbed my camera at the time. I took a picture of the side of the building. And it was, uh, I remember thinking to myself, man, I'd love to have worked on that series because they had canceled it recently. And uh, anyway, off we went to school, but it always amazed me. <laughs> My office was just on the other side of that big planet on the top of RKO at the time, uh, uh, a few years later. <laughs> and apparently when you were, you just started working on Next Generation, you had some very strong feelings about the direction you wanted the effects to take respective to the original series. Um, yeah, yeah, and it and it grew over over the time with the series. You know, um, uh, I had done a lot of visual effects up to that point, and um, everything had been photochemical. Very, very few times we had tinkered a little bit in the uh, CG and, and computerized world. I remember working on a Michael Jackson video once, and we did a little bit of work in video and I found that kind of amazing because after I studied photography I studied electronics it just for some reason I had GI Bill left over from the military and I saw this ad build a color TV you know I thought, well that's cool <laughs> you know, 
so I signed up. I didn't realize that in order to build this color TV, I had to learn electronics and all the math and build all this equipment before I even got there. But it worked out good. But what I was seeing is that it seemed to me that the future was going to be moving away from film into electronics. And so I studied that and got into uh, that and computers. And, uh, and that really gave me a different kind of a background, uh, I thought. So when um, Star Trek came along, we were right at that gap of the change was coming from photochemical to electronic. And Paramount made a brilliant decision right off the bat, which is not to have a negative of the show. And that's a biting them in the butt to this very day. Uh, <clears throat> but it was brilliant at the time because had they needed a negative, everything would have had to have been photochemical and go to optical. By choosing not to have a negative, then everything went to video. And we were able to composite everything electronically. Um, and at that point, that was the end of it, right? The, you're, you can't, um, it's very difficult to show it in a theater, for example, at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just, it didn't. And I thought it was brilliant because it just opened a whole world to us. We could do so much for, for less money. Uh, but nobody really done much of it before. Um, Rob Legato, who worked with us, um, at the start, in fact, he was there, him and Gary Hudson were there before I was. They kind of got it started, and then I joined them. And then Dan Curry came shortly thereafter. But he had done Max Headroom um, prior to that, some of it. And there were, another guy I'd worked with, Bruno George, um, had done Twilight Zone and Max Headroom as well. So that was pretty much the basis of uh, all electronic. When Star Trek came along, we had more money. And that was just, you know, because it was more money because they're doing electronically, but less money than what it would have been had they done the pilot and all this stuff on film. Mm -hmm. You know, so we were just in the right place at the right time. And having the electronics and the film background really helped that. It's probably why I got the job, too, is... Um, you know, some of the features I've worked on before, uh, I worked with Richard Edland at Boss, who came out of ILM, and we were doing all 70 millimeter, all these uh, incredible, incredible work, very, very complicated. But um, when they started Star Trek, they had ILM do the main title uh, photography of the ships, and then we were going to composite it. So when they shot it all, they sent all of the film down to Hollywood and along with paperwork of how to put this stuff together. And of course, nobody at, at there had seen that kind of paperwork before. It's like a big bed sheet with all these lines and numbers. And, but that's what I've been doing for the last few years. So sure. I came in and of course saw that immediately and was able to put it together in a way they could make the main title. And thank God got me a job. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, and I was thrilled. I mean, I was a fan of Star Trek back in the Navy. I remember taking my little TV set, black and white, and walking up to the bridge. And we were at that point in South Carolina and walking up to the bridge of our ship, throwing it up, sitting in a captain's chair and flicking on my TV with his rabbit ears and watching Star Trek. <laughs> so to get a chance to work on it uh, was, a, was pretty cool. I can imagine so. And a couple of people have said to me who are also ex-Navy that 
you know, those bridge ships can be rather dull. And, you know, like and they don't show in the show. It always looks everything's really, really exciting because there's always a an alien spacecraft fighting you or a wormhole opening up. But actual real world bridge ships uh, shifts get dull. And the idea of just sitting around watching Star Trek sounds pretty good right about then. <laughs> that was cool. And the captain had a real comfortable seat. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the captain was nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, that probably wouldn't have been in his seat. But... <laughs> You know, plus he's got more than one of them up there, so come mm-hmm. on. <laughs> he can spare a seat or two here and there. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, we were at a pier in uh, in South Carolina, like I said. We were part of the submarine Navy, so we spent a lot of our times at a pier with submarines alongside dealing with that. And again, I thought that was pretty cool. Now, <laughs> if, I, if I understand correctly, you were a part of a, a tender crew for the submarine? Yeah. Okay, so uh, you're you're essentially uh, transporting people to and from the submarine, or helping it dock, or no, no, we were a, a pretty pretty large ship, and okay. most of the time I spent in Spain, and we would just back up to the end of a pier, so we were like an extension of a pier, and submarines would come in and dock alongside us. Okay, that okay, we we could service them. We had machine shop. We could make anything that they need. Uh, we had electronics people i was did photo stuff so uh i do things like uh help them um, work out shooting pictures of things through a periscope or uh, you know if they were damaged sometimes when they put these things into dry dock they'd hang me in a crane over the side with the cameras uh, water was dropping and the ship essentially coming up and taking pictures of things on the side of the sub uh, see what kind of what the water was doing to it and i found it just fascinating but most of it was public affairs stuff shooting pictures of people shipping over again the photography thing kind of surfaces at the the most unusual times yeah yeah and 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 i loved it i really i liked it and i was lucky because when i first went on the ship in spain uh went down to the you know i I wasn't positive at that point that I was going to be a photographer in the Navy, right? I came in with everybody else, a, a seaman apprentice, and, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get. So I was on right. the force mopping and painting and that stuff. But I went in and, and begged the uh, the uh, officer in control of the photo lab, and he bought it. You know, I got it. I was told by my recruiter there wasn't a chance. If I wanted to be a photographer, I had to sign up for six years. And I was like, mm, no, you know, I'll take, I'll, I'll do what I got. Remember, Vietnam was on at the time too, so sure. you know, I just, you know, I felt pretty lucky to get it. And uh, he put me into the photo lab, and I was in with a, a third class who ran the uh, photo lab, and I studied and uh, became rated, which was interesting. Is I'm, I was in the submarine navy, working on submarines. But in order to be a photographer, I had to be what they call an Airedale, right? Aviation. And aviation has green stripes when you're a, a, a boot. So instead of a seaman apprentice, which was they call black shoe or a regular Navy deck force, all of that. Here I am on a submarine tender and I got green stripes being an airman, which was just kind of odd. But I did all my studying and just did whatever I could to apply. Uh, so I finally became a photo mate and uh, was able, actually by the end I was running the photo lab and it was just 
really good time. Interesting fact, though, is during that time, I wrote a lot of letters because I was still, I wanted to work in the movie business. I just had to, you know, technical stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't an actor or anything like that. I just liked the technical parts of it. Again, Forbidden Planet, I suppose. And I wrote letters to Disney and most of the studios. And a few of them answered me. Most of them were like, you know, you don't want to do this or, you know, there's just no hope for you, buddy. Um, but they answered, you know, which was kind of cool. At that point, I had looked at schools, too, and had sent my parents up to go to Brooks Institute where I went. And they came back and, and said, look, we talked to the students up there and or the professors or people up there that have the cinematography branch and they say you really shouldn't think about hollywood and doing that kind of stuff you know it's just a bad idea i just you know i didn't hear it but, you know screw that that's what i want to do i feel like a lot of people throw out the the odds game as as what they consider to be good advice like you have you have to go in knowing that a lot of people want to do this very few actually do it and i i guess people don't want you to get your hopes up unnecessarily, and, and they think they're helping you by saying that? I think so, and I think the reality is, too, is that a lot of people do it, and they, they don't stick with it or whatever, and it costs them. Mm -hmm. It costs them in another career. Um, you know, when I finished Brooks, like I said, I, I went into electronics to build this TV set. I had to learn electronics, right? So I got sidetracked. And I started uh, working. I got a job. I was in San Diego. San Diego's a beautiful place. I started working in a shop fixing TVs. I went to a company manufacturing TV cameras and worked for them for a while. And while I was there, I, I worked my way up and working on their biggest color system at this company, which was a telecine, a machine made to transfer film to video. And um, one day I was working on this machine and, and it was really a great job. I was making good money and enjoying it. Had my scopes out and working on all these circuits. So one day I was working with this old guy who, who was the uh, guru of this color, very complicated color circuit board. And I was working with him and we're sitting together and he said, well, you know what? You know, what are your plans? What do you want to do? And I said, eh, you know, I've always wanted to work on movies. You know, and he just kind of sat there for a minute and he leaned back and he said, you know, I should have left this job 20 years ago. And that night I had a dream and it was me sitting in his chair and it really bugged me. <laughs> so mm -hmm. the next day I went into work and I quit <laughs> and all my friends are like, what the hell's the matter with you, man? <laughs> You know, get a job first. I said, no, you know, I now I have to find a job, right? Now I have to look. If I'm waiting the other way, I don't. I'm going to be working. Now I'm forcing myself. So I sat down, I started a notebook, and I went and got some phone books out of Hollywood and just devoted myself to looking for a job. I'm in San Diego. I'm looking for a job in Hollywood. And I'd go up every couple of weeks and knock on doors. And the rest of the time, I'd be sending letters and working on resumes. Never sent the same resume twice. You know, I catered it to the people I was going to. Um, 
And it worked. I finally got a job with a tremendous cut in pay, unbelievable cut in pay. Used my own car to deliver crap and was thickin' thrilled. It was really good. But it panned out. That is your version of Harrison Ford being a carpenter to work on George Lucas's cabinets. It's it's, it's the same thing. And and yeah. my attitude was, look, it's better to try this and fail than wake up one day and not have tried and sitting back, you know, I should have left here 30 years ago. Come on. You know, if I go back and do that, but no, I had tried it. Okay. Yeah. You know, but it worked, you know, first movie I worked on, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Beautiful. And then Muppet Movie, which turned out to be. Uh, That's a timeless classic right there. I mean, that, that'll be remembered for generations. Yep. Yeah, it really was, you know, and it was just thrilling to be able to to get into that at that point and start to meet people and uh, and again, and it, you know, it didn't take long to catch up because I, you know, here was an interesting thing I think is that there were two roads to what I was doing there, right? There was the road where a guy gets out of high school, decides he wants to go to the business, goes into Hollywood and gets a job. He probably has no experience whatsoever. Maybe like me had done some photography or something, gets a job, he sits down and you learn what you're doing and you work your way up. Or you take the route I did where you go to college and you study first. And I took the sidetrack too of getting electronics beside, but I had a good solid photo background plus a good solid electronic background. And I knew theory, I knew how all of these things worked. Um, color film, and, and this was all just second nature. I've been doing this stuff for years. But when I go in and I get this job, I'm older. Um, I don't have any real experience sitting on the bench. You know, in fact, I'm going in as a driver. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Compared to the people who didn't get that education, the difference was that it was so much easier for me to learn what they were doing. If that makes any sense, you know, because it I does. did the process. Right. So I, I could move up quickly and it, uh, it made a big, uh, a big difference. You know, and I had the computer experience. So when we finally had chances to get into a union, we had to take a test. And that test was all about photo. Well, you know, come on, you know, mm -hmm. bring it on. I can take exactly. it. You know? <laughs> But the other people that I worked with, that wasn't the case. They didn't have that kind of a background. They knew their IPs and CRIs and the stuff that we were doing, but none of the theory. And so, so I, I tutored them a little bit to help get through the tests and everything, which, which was fun. And, they, you know, it was good people. I'm not saying either one of them is better. There were advantages to what they did. There was advantages to what I did. We give a lot of glory to the people who, from the moment they're toddlers, know that, hey, I want to go into acting, singing, directing, whatever, and they just train their whole lives for that. But I think there's a huge value, and, and I think that your story is evidence of this, that if you get your, your, if you cut your teeth outside the bubble of the industry and then decide you want to reapply what you know to that, you can make a big splash in a very short period of time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly the point. It gives you a, a little bit of a head start, you know, but a different head start. They had a head start on me. 
Mm-hmm. My biggest mistake on the very first job interview I went, I, I picked a place that I really didn't want to work, right? Uh, that's not really the right way. It, one of the least attractive places that I had on my list. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go there first because I figured I'd blow it. And I went in and I blew it, mm-hmm. right? Because I went in with the attitude that, uh, you know, I know a lot, right? I've got this degree. I've been a photographer for years. I was from junior high school all the way through the Navy. I'm a professional photographer for everything, but, you know, getting paid. I guess the Navy paid me. That's professional, (laughs) you know. So I went in with that attitude, you know. The truth being, as far as they were concerned as a boss, I had known nothing, right? I had to learn from the ground and work the way up. So when you go in and you try to present yourself, it was like so many people that came in and it did like I did with my boss. I would talk to him about it as people would interview. And his biggest saying was, I just don't want to hire any director producers. You know, and that really rang a bell to me because I knew he was right. And I didn't really fall into that category because that wasn't really my goal. I didn't really want to direct a movie. I didn't really want to be a big producer. But a lot of the people that came in they did, and it made them almost useless. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because no matter what they did, they didn't like it because they weren't directing, right? Well, you don't start directing, you know. Maybe that'll present yourself later, but you know, if this is where you came to start, you should learn what you're doing so that you get a good recommendation and make some connections and go towards directing or writing or producing whatever you want to do. That's fine, but. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people came and went because of mm-hmm. that too. And I don't think any of them ever became producers or directors. Or they could have. They were they were capable. But they won't really need to drive, you know. Yeah. Take this box and hand it to that guy, buddy. Yeah. I mean, to, to understand what's going on at that the granular level, it's very, very hard to, to know that unless you've done that for a good length of time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, get the experience. And to me, in Hollywood, it's all about connections. Mm-hmm. How many people do you know, right? Which also means don't go in and piss people off. I, no. That's not going to do you any good. You know, my saying was always, look, all of us, we all deserve to have a bad day, and I'll put up with it. But if every day you come in here, you're having a bad day, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, man. You know, smile, and let's get through this, because... I'm doing something I really love to do. And I'm going to have a bad day where I hate every minute of it, you know, but imagine if I didn't like it in the first place, you know, and that's true whether I'm sitting on a bench doing, uh, putting faces in the portholes for the love boat, which I did for years, right? Or I'm sitting on a set in Star Trek. It just doesn't matter. You're going to have bad days on both, you know, so enjoy it if it's something you love doing it's a lot easier to take it is and you know when you say you know if the porthole is just not working in your favor that day if you just have the idea that down the road you're going to be glad to have done the porthole that's going to make a whole lot of difference in your attitude that's going to say hey today's not great but the long-term goal is worth it yeah yeah you know you don't always see it at the time but it's got to be a kind of an attitude that you need to have is i know this is what i'm doing right now i'm going to be the best at it that i can my attitude when i started was you know here i am driving 
well, I'm going to look at the other people working, doing what I want to do, and I want to see what they really, really hate. And I'm going to do that. You know, and I did. You know, if it was Sonic cleaning a roll of film, if it, whatever it was, if they didn't want to do it, I'd jump in and do it. And I figured eventually they're not going to want me to go away. <laughs> right? If I got to get in the car and I got to drive over to the lot and hand some film to somebody, then they got to do that crappy job they don't want to do. They want to run back. You know? <laughs> so pretty soon I had somebody else run into boxes. I've learned that no matter what industry you're in and no matter what you're doing, you can earn friends if you're the first person in the door who starts that pot of coffee. Yeah. If, oh, no, yeah, if yeah. nobody else has to start that, you, you made a friend somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. You're the one, and they, they very, very quickly depend on you. Uh-huh. They expect you to be there that in the morning, you know, and that works all right for me. Mm-hmm. However, almost any job that I've ever experienced, it comes to a point where you have to quit. Yeah. Right, because... There's another old saying, once a driver, always a driver, right? So you come into a company like I did when I went to work for Joe Westheimer, I was a driver. Now, Joe was good to me and I got the raises. I didn't take me all that line to get back where I was beforehand, you know, but he always looked at me as a driver. No matter what I did, I could work my way up and I could earn my reputation with peers and all of that, but there was a limit because he saw me as a driver until I went to the next job. And then when I went in, I came in as a lineup person or whatever it happened to be. And now that was it. So, you know, I found almost every time you get to a point in a place where you have to leave in order to get an advancement, where you can move to the next level. And that, that happened, uh, quite a few times, you know, of course, then as you move your way up and you're working, like when I was working with boss, we're doing Ghostbusters in 2010 and Big Trouble Little China. We had all these movies and they were killing us. Uh-huh. Ghostbusters. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, we're working 18 hour days, seven days a week. We never went home. They, they rent a hotel across the street. So you go over and shower. You left after 18 hours. You felt guilty because everybody can lose time everybody can get behind schedule except for the last people right we'd be driving around town and you'd see this this billboard up for ghostbusters right it's going to be out on such and such a date and we're like there is no freaking way look at all this stuff we got to do it's just impossible and this stuff takes time it's hard nowadays it's a it's a different situation you've got computers and you can split it up to a lot of houses to do this stuff but you know at those days we did it all mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was amazing so it became very uh, intense to say the least but then what happens you're working this job you're working seven days a week you're working virtually if you're awake, you're working. If you're Ghostbusters, you're sleeping, you're dreaming about ghosts. If it's 2010, it's spaceships, right? And then suddenly a day comes. They can't lay you off fast enough. The movie is done. You're out of a job because you're at big expense and you're on the budget of whatever picture it is. If it's mm-hmm. Ghostbusters or 2010 or something, then it's boom. And now from this intensity, nothing. And what do you do? Well, what I'd like to do is take a big vacation. 
just forget, wake up. But I'm out of a job. I better start looking for work. Sure. You know, and this is like this insanity. And then you get the phone call and say, yeah, you like a job? Yeah. Can I start in a week? No, no, we need you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, and you're right back into the frying pan again. And it's like, ah, crazy. It, it's, it was an insane ride, I'll tell you that. But rewarding, too. Imagine sitting in a screening, the first screening in 2010, right? Mm-hmm. Watching this movie, big fan of 2001, obviously, right? Sitting in the theater, and you know who's sitting right behind me? I can listen to his comments. Arthur C. Clarke. No. Yes. Wasn't that? That was like, you live for these moments, man. You know, he loved that, the balloons. <laughs> that might have made all the sleepless nights worth it right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just to meet him. Sure. <laughs> Big fan. I've read most of his books, if not all of them. <laughs> But that was just, you know, that's a moment and, you know, something that you kind of remember. Oh, sure. I'm glad you had it. Well, I'll be honest with you. This is a moment for me right here, having this conversation. And I would love to have you back anytime. Even more, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to come in tomorrow because, you know, you might want to take that week. To, but seriously, <laughs> let's, let's do this again sometime. Where can people follow your adventures on the web? Um. You know, I don't really uh, uh, do too much on them on Facebook, mm-hmm. but uh, other than that, I really don't I do too much. I did do a uh, cast with um, Connor and Dominic from Enterprise a few weeks ago. Uh, it's on their, their show, if you've ever heard of it, called Shuttlepod mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, telecast, and, and uh, that was that was good fun. It's always, always good to... Uh, See friends again. I will put a link to that in the show notes of my okay. website. And I would you mind if I link to your Facebook as well? No, please. That, that's okay. fine. I, I enjoy your pictures on there. It means a lot to me that you post that. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of crazy. I don't do a lot of Trek stuff on there much anymore, but uh, once in a while we get stuff going. Sometimes I do the cruise Trek stuff too. Uh, that's a smaller cruise group. They're doing one to Mexico for the eclipse this year. That'll be kind of fun. Uh, that I'm, I uh, think I'm going to be going on. But anyway, other than that, just hang out. Fantastic. Well, again, thanks so much, Ron. I would be glad to have you back. Glad to do it, and uh, keep in touch. I would like to thank Ron for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I enjoy getting a wide range of guests in terms of life experience, but I also want to go ahead and get a wide range of guests in terms of what they've done, what they've contributed, or what they've seen. So yes, I've had some actors on and some directors and some professional fans and authors, but you know, it's very possible that maybe I'm missing some category of guests that I haven't thought of. So if you have a suggestion for the type of guest you'd want to see, reach out to me at bossigpodcast.yahoo.com. You can follow me at Aaron Bossig on Twitter and on Instagram. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.